I want us to um, look this fall at the book of Philippians. There are per verse more what I would consider great verses in the book of Philippians than any book I can think of. I mean, you can think of Philippians 1.6. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Uh, Philippians 1.21. For to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. You can go to chapter 2 and about verse 5, and Paul will say, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and took the form of a servant and becoming in the likeness of man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. I mean, you can come to chapter 3 and you can talk about Paul's words in 3-7 when he says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. 3-12, he says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. 13, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Oh, you come to chapter 4. Now, there's some stuff right there. You come to 4, 6, when he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication let your requests be made known unto God. Maybe on in verse 7, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I can't even mention 4, 8. But, well, you got 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You got Philippians 4.19. Um, uh, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. Uh, I think I skipped a few, but basically I've quoted the whole book this morning already. I mean, there's no, yeah, no, 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 you can't leave. You, you, you're asked to come back all the way through. I think we're going to spend about 13 sermons in Philippians, and so it's going to get us. It's going to get us to Christmas time. So uh, believe it or not, but you know the verse that is actually the theme verse that captures the theme of the book better than any other is 4:4, Philippians 4:4. Paul says to the Philippians, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, Rejoice. Sixteen times in Paul's letter to the Philippians, he either mentions joy or rejoice. I mean, it's not that. I don't know how many verses. There's only four chapters and the chapters aren't very long. Sixteen times. He speaks of joy and rejoice. It's, it's sprinkled throughout the book. But I really believe 4-4 captures the whole theme of the book when he says rejoice. He says to the Philippians more than anything else, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Paul's relationships, relationship 
with the Christians at Philippi uh, started about 10 or so years before he wrote this letter to them. I think most people, most scholars would say about 51 A.D. So quite honestly, about two decades in to the time of the early church since Jesus uh, left them has passed. Uh, the story, if you want to read it sometime, is contained in Acts 16. Acts 16, we have the story of Paul coming to Philippi and starting the church, leading people to faith and starting that church. It's kind of interesting because he had already taken one missionary journey through Asia Minor, and it says, uh, it's recorded in, in Luke, in Acts 16 by Luke, that he's passing through, and it says, and the Spirit forbid them to go into Asia. And I don't, I don't have a map to show you, but it was kind of to the left hand. They were in Galatia, and they could have gone to Asia to the left. And the Spirit forbid them to go into Asia. And they just kept pressing on. It says, and, and, they, and the Spirit forbid them to go into Bithynia, which was to the north. And so they just kept going, and they come to... Um, the sea there, the Aegean Sea, sorry, I was thinking geographically, and I said, oh, what is that? They come to Troas. And Luke records this in, in Acts 16. And it says, And that night, in a vision, a man of Macedonia appeared to Paul and says, Come over and help us. And I love the way Luke puts it in Luke 16. He goes, so we concluded the Lord was calling us to go to Macedonia. That, that's always good. When you have a vision and a man appears to you and says, come over here and help us, you go, okay. God, I think you're trying to say something to me. Now let me get this right. And it says, that Luke, Luke records that they sailed from there and they went through by Samothrace and the Neapolis and they came to the leading city of Macedonia, which is northern Greece, to Philippi. Philippi was, Luke records that it was a leading city and it was a Roman colony. He says that in Luke in Acts 16. A Roman colony. So decades before this, the Romans had come through and they had captured this city and they had established it for their own. It was a little Rome. And they took citizens of Rome and they planted them there. That's what a colony, I guess, means. But they adopted the, the Roman language, Latin, and they uh, adopted their customs and their form of government and their architecture. Philippi is the leading city there because it is this little Rome. It's going to come up later in the words that Paul writes to them, but I want you to just kind of file that in your minds. It's a Roman colony of great significance. In fact, geographically, it is on the east-west highway that was called the Ignatian Way. I mean, it's like the interstate, the east-west interstate in that part of the ancient world. The Romans had established this. And so it was on a major thoroughfare, was a very prominent city because it was a Roman colony. And when Paul is called to go to Macedonia, he goes to the leading city, Philippi. And if you read Acts 16, what it says is they, in fact, they were looking we can assume they were looking for a Jewish synagogue because that was, that was Paul's practice. He would go to a community and would find those who were already worshiping God. He would go to the synagogue and he would preach to them and people would come to faith and they would, in essence, pull out of the synagogue and they would establish a church. When he comes to Philippi, there is not a synagogue. 
And when Paul begins to look around, he discovers that there are some people who are God-fearers that are meeting at the river for prayer. And one of those people, in fact, the story of Paul's encounter at Philippi hinges on three people. The first of those people is a lady who is a businesswoman for Thyatira by the name of Lydia. And Lydia, I guess, was leading a group of ladies in a prayer time by the river. And Paul preaches the gospel to them. And it records that Lydia and her household came to faith in Christ. Hmm. And so Paul would go to the river, and this group would begin to meet this pre-church. And it said, Acts 16 says that as he kept going, there was a slave girl who was demon-possessed, and she made money by telling fortunes for her masters, and she agitated Paul when they came back and forth from Philippi to the river to pray. Mm, mm. Don't you hate people that agitate you? That's not the sermon this morning. Actually, the sermon's about joy, so we better not talk about agitation. Fin yeah, it's too <laughs> Finally, Paul turns to the girl and says, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And the demon came out. And no longer did she have satanic power to tell the fortunes of other people. And her masters, her owners, became very angry at Paul and Silas, who was traveling with him. And they haul them to the government authorities, and the government authorities throw them in jail. And you're not going to believe what happened. That night, God sent an earthquake. I'm serious. And the doors of the prison are open. It was about midnight. And the, the, the guard, the jailer, assumes that everyone has escaped and he's about to kill himself. And Paul says, no, no, bring in a light. And he said, we are all here. And the man says, and is appointed a question, is recorded in all the Bible. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And as clear and as simple of an answer as ever recorded in the Bible, Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved and your household. And the scripture says that the jailer took Paul and Silas. I, I failed to mention that they had beat them within an inch of their life. And it says that the jailer took him and bandaged him, took care of their needs, took them to their house. And the jailer and his family believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and they were baptized. And then the government authorities thought it was a good day for Paul and Silas and his kind of people to get out of town, and so they did. Lydia, a businesswoman, a slave girl and a jailer who was a Roman citizen I think were the nucleus of that group of believers that became the church at Philippi it's kind of significant that we understand so that we can understand what Paul is going to write Paul later, well, actually it ties into last week's sermon on his next 
round of missionary journeys. He collects the offering for the Jerusalem saints, which includes the Philippians, the Macedonians. And he goes to Jerusalem, and he's falsely accused and arrested. And Paul eventually, over the course of two to three years, ends up in Rome under house arrest, uh, waiting for his case to come before Caesar with every indication that he would lose his life for being the promoter of a illegal religion. In the midst of that time, the Philippians send a man by the name of Epaphroditus to minister to Paul. Probably there was a financial gift to take care of his needs. Paul was under house arrest but had freedom to receive guests. And Epaphroditus came and ministered on behalf of the Philippians. Actually, when you read the letter of Philippians and you know the history, Paul, this is very significant, Paul had a closer relationship with the Philippian church than any other church. When you just read his writings and you know the history, Paul is closer to the Philippians than any other church. In fact, later in Philippians, he's going to say, you know, when no one else supported me, you sent gifts to me to support my ministry. And ultimately, when he's in prison in Rome, possibly facing death, they send Epaphroditus with a gift and for Epaphroditus to stay. And Paul, in the midst of that, when it's time for Epaphroditus to go back to the Philippians, he writes this letter that we will be studying the next 13 weeks. You know what the irony of it all to me is? As Paul is in prison, living out the gospel of Christ, doing... It, I mean, Paul is dead center of the will of God. Falsely accused. His court case has been tied up. He's been hauled to Rome. Two to three years have passed. He has every reason to believe that he is about to die. In the midst of all of those circumstances, Paul writes to the Philippians, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, Rejoice. Hmm. That's kind of what struck me when several weeks ago I looked at Philippians. I go, wait a second, that doesn't make any sense. I, I kind of laugh later in chapter 1. He's going to say, he says this, he goes, hey, I actually, actually after the opening kind of greetings, he goes, hey, I want you actually to know that this is help for the advancement of the gospel. And many people are hearing about Jesus. Yeah, for me to be hauled off in jail and falsely accused and about to face death. Hey, I want you to know I'm not doing real well circumstantially, but I want you to know the gospel of Christ is moving upward and onward. Thinking, wow. And you know what I want us to do? And of course, you've already read my screen, so you know where I'm heading with this. I'm struck by the question. What was the secret to Paul's joy? If Paul can talk to them about joy, I mean, these are people he felt close to. And, uh, I mean, he's just sharing his heart. And what comes out 16 times 
I want you to experience joy. I mean, you think, well, Paul, that's not really, it doesn't seem like your place in life to be telling us about joy because you don't have any circumstantial reason to be happy right now. But that's what he talks to them about. I'm struck by that. And I want us to think about the secret to joy. Oh, I just want us to look at one verse of Scripture this morning. Why don't we look at the first? Philippians 1, 1. And I know you're looking, that's why I went ahead and announced, we're going to get through Philippians by Christmas, and you're going, Brother Darrell, we just covered one verse this Sunday. I'm projecting that out, and that's like 2024. We're going to be through with that book. Okay? I'm just, I wanted to lay, I wanted to lay some groundwork for you today, Okay? I've kind of introduced my series and the letter, the context. If you don't understand that, you don't understand the power of what Paul is saying. So in Philippians 1.1, this is the way Paul begins. In the letter that he's going to hand to Epaphroditus to take back to his dear brothers and sisters, it says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons now obviously this ancient letter begins with the writers we generally end our letters I, well I don't, we don't actually write letters anymore so years ago when people used to write letters uh, they would put their name at the bottom which is I guess American or Western custom but in Paul's day, you would have started, it kind of makes sense, uh, begins with who the letter is from. And then it tells us who the letter is to. So in the second part of verse 1, it says, to the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Obviously, he uses the term saints to refer to the Christians here. And in fact, biblically and New Testament-wise, the word saints means uh, holy ones. And it refers to all Christians. So I want you to know on a day that across the world in Rome in which Mother Teresa is being hmm, uh, declared a saint... I just thought it would, I just saw that on the news. I mean, today is the day that they are, in the Catholic Church, they're making Mother Teresa a saint. I want you to know at First Baptist Huntington, as a believer in Christ, I today am calling you saints. You are in good company. We're all with Mother Teresa today. I'm sorry. There was a, I'm sorry. That, I, that wasn't in my notes and was not appropriate. So just delete that from the record uh, but the reality is is that we are saints literally in the Greek it just means holy ones holy are those things that are set apart for God's purposes could be a vessel it could be a place could be a person holy a saint and you know one of the distinctions what makes us different from the people around us ought to be 
our joy. And so he talks about those who are the holy ones in Christ Jesus. Obviously our holiness, our salvation is based on Jesus Christ. They are in Philippi. Obviously in the 10 years since Paul has been there that they have developed a church structure and so they have bishops, which is a word that literally in the Greek means an overseer. And then there are deacons, uh, literally the word for servant. And so there is some structure of pastoral ministers, elders, and then there are servants who are called deacons. And it's not really my intent this morning to delve any further into that other than to note there is a church structure and there are more people that have come to faith and they have developed this leadership and church structure. There's actually one word I want to spend the rest of our time with on this morning. And it is the way that Paul describes himself. He says, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ. That word bond servant, it kind of jumped out at me. And, and I was, and I, quite honestly, I'm reading the book of Philippians with a filter that says, what is the secret of, of Paul's joy? How could he have joy in the midst of these circumstances? Because that's, that's, what I, I, that's what I want to talk about. And it was that word bond servant. And, and look, just listen. I believe one of the secrets to joy is to know God's purpose or calling for your life. Paul describes himself as a bondservant. It's kind of interesting when he writes to other churches, Paul will he'll throw out the apostle title. He'll go, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. That was generally to the Corinthian churches that he was having problems with his authority and problems in the church. He's just, he's throwing out the, the title, I am an apostle. Now listen up. But when he talks to his dear friends, he doesn't throw out the apostle term. He says, I am a bondservant. Hmm. Byron, Brother Jeremy, Greek 101. Come on. We look at this. Bondservant. You know what this word means? But apparently our English people have a hard time translating this way. Literally, this word bondservant in the original language means slave. As distinct from a servant. Actually, the word deacons is the word for servant. Paul does not say, I'm a servant of Lord Jesus Christ. I am a slave. What is a slave? A slave is a person who has no rights of their own and only lives out the obedience to their master. Whatever their master tells them to do, that's what they do. And that's what struck me. Paul knew his place and his calling in life, and I would contend today it was one of the secrets to his joy that in the midst of his circumstances it was not about him. It was about what God had for his life. And Paul, even though he was in prison and he was facing death for doing what God had called him to do, 
He could find joy because he was doing what God called him to do. And as a servant, it wasn't about him. It was about the master and his mission. It was about him. It wasn't about me. And that went, wow, it just jumped out at me. Paul knew what his calling was in life, and he found joy in living that out in obedience to the master, plain and simple. I believe we can find joy when we live out of calling. Paul had surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He would say to the Philippians, I've been bought with a price. He'd actually say, we have been bought with a price. Paul had no will of his own but he simply was going to live out of obedience with Christ. You know, so many times the way we feel about life is based upon our outward circumstances. And I'm going to say to you, if you base your happiness, your joy on your outward circumstances, there are going to be times that you're happy and you're joyful, and there are going to be times when circumstances change that you're not going to be. If your joy is based upon living out God's purpose, His calling in your life, it doesn't really matter whether you're in jail facing death. If the gospel is being promoted and advanced, it's about God. It's not about, not about me. Now, y'all y'all going to have to take this in. You're going to have to take it in. I can't spoon-feed it to you. I'm laying it out as best I can this morning. No, you've got to figure this out. That my joy, the source of my joy, is in Jesus Christ. In fact, you know the one thing that characterizes the place where God is, heaven? You ever thought about it? The one thing that you could use to describe heaven is the word joy. No, it's a place of joy. Joy is at the very core of the characteristics of God. Uh, C.S. Lewis, his quote is, Joy is the serious business of heaven. I don't know if you ever thought about this. God wants us to be joyful. Regardless of what we're passing through in life, He wants us to be filled with joy. Because as his children, as we reflect his character, then there's going to be joy. This is a part of the distinction of being saints, of being different, being set apart. When people see us, they ought to see a little bit of God. And part of that, there's other things, is joy. Lewis Smedes writes, To miss out on joy is to miss out on the reason for our existence. Wow. We have to understand that we are to live out of calling and if we are living out of obedience regardless of what our circumstances are there can be joy. 
John Ortberg writes this on a chapter on joy. He says, True joy comes only to those who have devoted their lives to something greater than personal happiness. Oh, wow. I've got to read that again. True joy comes only to those who have devoted their lives to something greater than personal happiness. You see kind of the irony? The more you live for your happiness, <laughs> the less you will be. But when you, what Jesus said, give up your life and take his life, oh, his life will be a life of joy. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are, whether it's good, the economy's up or down, what the weather's like. No, because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his calling on my life is sure. And if I'm living that out, I believe it's one of the secrets to joy. Oh, why don't we just take just a few minutes this morning and talk about calling. Because you may dismiss that word and you say, oh, well, Brother Darrell, you're called. And I am. But I would say to you, if you're a child of God today, there is a calling on your life. There is a place that God has put you for a purpose. That's calling. It doesn't matter whether you are a school teacher or you are an accountant or a waitress or a waiter or a mechanic. If you're a clerk in a store, if you're in the insurance business, if you're a secretary, I don't know, I could go on. It doesn't really matter. Do you realize vocationally that if you have followed God, then God has put you where He wants you to be and He wants you to make a difference there? And that when you live out your profession, I'm sure there are some professions that I have not mentioned today that, yes, if you're a drug dealer today, I'm going to say, okay, no, don't live out God's purpose for that. I understand there are some things. But I would think for most of us in this room, if we have, are living out what God has called us to do, this is it. We are living to enhance the lives of other people and to make their life and to make society better. It does not matter what you do. You are making this world a better place if you're living that out as a child of God. You know somebody I appreciate? It's the man who picks up my trash on Tuesdays and Fridays. I got to thinking, what if that stuff was accumulated in my backyard? Or worse, in my house? No, I'm serious. There's a man who comes by in a truck. And all of us, if we're being real honest, if we're boys, we wanted to be that man growing up. You know, I mean, we were four or five or six, and some of us were older, you know, 16. But anyhow, you know, we gave up the dream. But there's a guy that gets to ride on the back of a truck all day long. And, and people, at least in my neighborhood, they put their trash out at the end of their driveway and this guy comes by. One guy gets to drive the truck, which is pretty cool too. But anyhow, the guy jumps off the back of the truck, gets your trash, and he throws it in this big thing. We don't know where it goes. I think it goes to the landfill. 
because I've been out there and there's a bunch of trash out there. But this guy takes our trash from us. Do you know what? He enhances the quality of my life. Whatever it is, I think for the vast majority of us, what we do makes our society a better place and enhances the lives of other people. Don't you think that's a God thing? I have not even mentioned, because you may be a stay-at-home mom. And let me tell you, that's a full-time job. Mm. I can't think of anything more important than a mom who stays home, takes care of her kids. Now, you're making the world a better place. Whether you work outside the home or you work inside the home, you're working. I always thought, I know if y'all have been with me 17 years, I've said this before. I always thought that if someday I stood before God and the only thing I'd ever done was to be a great father, God would look at me and say, well done, well done. If I'd never done anything else. You know what I realize? Part of our calling is not just vocationally, but it relates to family, uh, kids, grandkids someday, they tell me. Uh, amen, amen. You're talking about significant work. No, as, as a child of God, you are, you are to, to live that out, to raise up that next generation, and maybe in the midst of it, you forgot it's where God placed you at this point in your life, and you've missed the joy. You forgot, no, God placed me there. This is His purpose, and I'm there to make a difference. And you're to find joy in that. So I think vocationally, I think family-wise, that's a part of our calling of what it is that God, His purpose is in our life and why He's placed us here. And I think sometimes that, that calling, those purposes change through the years and could be in church life. We talk about this in our church that uh, you need to grow as a disciple. There needs to come a point where you become hands and feet that are making a difference. Whether that's through your local church or outside the four walls of this church. No, you've got to make a difference. It doesn't matter what ministry, whether you're a preschool teacher or in the church or you're a, a volunteer for Team Kid or you pass the plates on Sunday morning or you're one of our greeters at the door or you serve on a committee. It doesn't really matter. You're making a difference in whatever it is that God's called you to do. And yes, there needs to be, I think, a sense of vocational calling that somehow also involves our family calling of God's purpose in my life where I am. And I think part of that also relates to our family of God and why does God have me here and what does He want to do to use me in my life. So I, I've spent a little bit of time 
but you've got to figure this out. What in the world am I doing here? What is God's purpose in my life? And I'm saying if you live that out in your life, it doesn't matter if you're doing what God called you to do and you're getting your eyes off of yourself and you're looking at others to the glory of God, you can find joy in the midst of that. No, I'm doing just like Paul. I'm, he, Paul was called by God to be an apostle, a missionary, a preacher to the, to the Gentiles, and it led him to jail and facing death. I don't know if you know the story. Paul doesn't die after this Roman imprisonment. He's released. And he ministers for several more years and they rearrest him again. I believe, oh, I should know this. I think it's the year 68. So maybe he's writing Philippians in about the year 62. In the year 68, after he's been released from this imprisonment, he's imprisoned again in Rome. And this time, they kill him. He's beheaded for the gospel of Christ. You know what many scholars believe was the last letter he wrote before that? 2 Timothy 4, 2 Timothy was the letter, I'm sorry. 2 Timothy 4, 7. Some of the worst, the last words that Paul writes. Remember what he said? 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my race. I have kept the faith. And now there is laid up for me a crown. You know what strikes me about that verse related to what we're talking about? Paul says, I have run. I have finished my race. And of all those three things, I, I have I fought the good fight, I finished my race, I've kept the faith. That one time he uses the personal pronoun, he says, my race. And I want you to know as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, there is a course, there is a race, there is a purpose, there is a reason you are here. It is your calling, it is your ministry. It may relate to where you work, it may relate to your family, it may relate to what you do within the church or outside the church as a disciple of Jesus Christ. You've got to figure that out. Oh, let me say one last thing. Because in these series of messages, not only am I going to talk about the secret to joy from Paul's life, and this morning it was all, the, the, the first secret to joy is living out God's purpose, His calling in your life. I don't know if this will be true for every sermon, but it's true this morning. There is a joy killer, killjoy. There's a killjoy to living out God's calling. And I want to just go ahead and throw it out there. Because you may be wondering, why is it that I can't find joy in my calling? The killjoy, the calling, mm. is comparison. when we look at others, what they have and what they do, and we look at it in comparison to our lives, and we go, oh, that just depresses me. Some of you people are depressing other people. I want you to know. 
joking. No, it's their choice. Hmm. Looking at our lives in comparison to other people's lives and what they have and what they do, And if you live in comparison, I, I don't think you're going to experience God's joy. Because you're always going to be able to look around and see somebody that you wish you had that or did that or blah, 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 blah their circumstances. Blah, blah. You'll never be happy living in comparison. What somebody else has, what somebody else does. You know, for the servant, if you're a bondservant of Jesus Christ, you live out your calling and what the Master tells you to do, and it doesn't matter what He asks somebody else to do or where He places them or what He wants to do in their lives. It's not about them. It's always about your relationship with the Master and just living that out. And Paul's going to say later, it's, it's actually it's one of the great verses, and I actually forgot it in, in verse 4. He, is, he says in chapter 4, maybe verse 11, I have learned in all circumstances to be content. I've learned how to be abased, and I've learned how to abound. But I've learned in all circumstances. If you remember actually the theme verse 4-4, when he says rejoice in the Lord, so part of the key is, of rejoicing is in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. I'm sorry. He says rejoice in the Lord always. At all times, in all circumstances, there is joy. So this is my secret to joy from Philippians 1.1 from the life of Paul. The first secret to joy is to live out of calling and not comparison. Write it down. Soak it in this week. Figure out what in the world God has you here for. And you know the reality? I may say this every sermon. You know the, the final challenge is simply choose joy. We can all look around and find out a reason to be miserable. But in Christ Jesus, who never changes, who is the same yesterday and forever, who is our everlasting Father, if we are living out of obedience to Him, regardless of what life may bring us, we can experience joy. I want us to stand this morning. Brother Shane's going to come with the, the praise band. Hmm. I want to pray in just a minute, but just as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, this morning the altar will be open. For some of you, God has spoken to you this morning. Maybe about your calling. Maybe about living in comparison, the killjoy. Maybe there's some things you just need to come to the altar and leave today. about your agenda, your life, and what you wanted and what you expect. And to humble yourselves before God. Say, God, if I'm living out your 
purpose for my life than fill my life with joy. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to see our lives where you want them to be. And Father, I pray that you would fill us with joy.